and welcome to Drawing and Dialogue. My name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm E. Jackson. We are cartoonists, scholars, and educators. On Drawing and Dialogue, we put comics into historical and educational contexts. My segment explores the theoretical and historical analyses of our topic. And I talk about our topic through the lens of pedagogy and education with a focus on practical application. I work with K-12 students in schools in addition to alternative educational settings. My next graphic novel, The Breakaways, is out from first second. It came out in March. Um, and you can just plain order it at thebreakawayscomic.com. <laughs> I have a master's degree in art education. And I am a PhD student in the University of Florida's English program. My research focuses on comic studies, museum studies, trans studies, a bunch of things. Um, and I also make self-published comics. Yeah. So today we are going to sort of move away from our usual episodes. Um, mm-hmm. Today we are going to talk about comics and academia through our own experiences, through our own work. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that we've been meaning to do for a while and it finally feels like it's the right time. Yeah. Because it's finals for me. <laughs> Well, it feels like we've slowly, I've slowly become more interested and actually realized why it's really important to sort of share where I'm coming from when I'm giving Mm -hmm. information and when I'm teaching, because then people know my context, you know? Right, right. So it felt like a good time. And also my book just came out. It's a very good book. You should definitely get it (laughs) if you haven't. Thank you. So we're going (laughs) to talk about The Breakaways, um, Mm -hmm. my new middle grade graphic novel, but we're also going to be talking about our backgrounds in education, in Mm -hmm. our education and our master's degree programs or doctorate programs, if you were E. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then also we're going to talk about E's comics, not just my comics, but E's comics and also how those sort of apply to our scholarship Mm -hmm. and us as like a, like sort of a holistic look at our work. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm very excited for this, actually. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) So in our intro, I have this note that says the messiness of scholarship. Yes. So sort of the looking at the sort of the similarities between the artistic process and also the scholarship process and like the process of research. It's really messy, right? You have all these ideas Mm -hmm. and connections and they're all sort of really non-linear, which is something that we've really embraced in drawing a dialogue. Yeah, it is interesting, I think. um, And I'll talk about this a little bit more uh, when we get to sort of like art education. But my background is not academic at all. Like I've been like prior to coming to UF, I was in art schools. I went to magnet art schools for middle for grade school. And then I went to an art college. And so I didn't really have like a scholarly, like a way of like doing academic practice. And it is interesting how similar it ends up being to sort of the art process, like gathering things and percolating on them and like trying to make sense of things. And like a lot of it's, it, it, it does overlap in some very interesting ways, but it is very messy. Yeah. And I mean, I think we started doing drawing a dialogue before you went into your program. Like you applied yes. <laughs> after we had already been doing our own version of research, right? Yeah. Actually, I recall part of my pitch to you for this podcast was that I specifically wanted a way to practice researching. Because <laughs> I was like, I never had to do this before. 
Yeah. Um, okay, so why don't we talk about our backgrounds? Do you want to... Should I go first or do you want to go first? Either is fine. Okay. Uh, um, I could Maybe I'll go first because in our timeline, I am a few years ahead of you. Yes, true. Um, but now you are ahead of me because you're in a doctorate well. program. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Uh, so, it's like... How far back do we go? Like, so I went to, for my last two, I went to public school up until the last two years of high school. And then I went to an arts magnet school in Minnesota, in Golden Valley, Minnesota. It's called Perpich Center for the Arts. And my focus was visual arts. I didn't know that you also went to an art magnet high school. I did. Only for two years, though. Yours was for Mm. four, right? Yeah. I mean, yours is definitely more (laughs) well-known. Mine was in Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, well-known to people in South Florida does not constitute (laughs) well-known. But you have, like, you have, like well-known artists who graduated from your school right yes oh um vanessa davis and rebecca mock both went to my high school so yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i i mean i think i (laughs) i don't know if famous people came went to my school but i mean i don't know if it matters but yeah um and then i went to the maryland institute college of art mica in baltimore um for my four years of undergrad and actually, I chose MICA specifically because they were really interdisciplinary with mm-hmm. not only arts majors, but also they were interdisciplinary with uh, liberal arts courses. They were probably the most liberal arts-centered art school that I was looking at. Okay. So, like, they had really good history offerings. They had good uh, philosophy offerings. I actually would have been a philosophy minor had the person the one person who is the only one who could uh, like a bestow of philosophy minors didn't happen to have been on sabbatical my senior year (laughs) oh no (laughs) yeah so I couldn't I ended up not being able to fulfill that minor just because she was gone correct me if I'm wrong but you did a lot of like sculpture didn't you I was a sculpture major. Yeah. I was a sculpture major, a philosophy minor, had that worked out. I took a lot of medieval history courses and also religious courses, like theological histories courses, Mm -hmm. not like contemporary theology, just like in in addition to like why, why people in the past made the decisions that they made and like philosophy courses and stuff so like I was really into thinking thinkers and different ideas of existence (laughs) basically it's very undergrad (laughs) you know like whoa as existentialism whoa why are we here on earth (laughs) Um, it's a good age to be thinking about that yeah so that was like I mean I took many as many courses as in that realm as possible and then that applied to my artwork that I was doing in my studio classes but like you know that's like where I I kept up in high school I also took a foreign films class which doesn't seem like it would be a big deal but it was like a weekly essay analyzing different films and so like I got a like really 
strong essay skills and that sort of carried on through like analytical essays right were like my jam and then I went out of school for a while and then um one of my questions for you later on was about I think we've talked about like how you came to teaching in other episodes but like yeah um that's sort of like post Micah that's when you start to like like post mica stuff right like that's sort of like time period yeah i feel like up to that point i mean i can get really serious with what happened um mm-hmm. up to that point i was really narcissistic as a lot of adolescents and young adults are you're sort of focusing on yourself and yeah uh, and actually a lot of like fine art schools art schools can be really like you and your art and your ideas and you're sort of really focusing inward mm-hmm. and then Trayvon Martin was killed in 2012 I graduated undergrad in 2011 and so I went to marches after he was murdered yeah and I realized that I needed to do more with what I was giving to my community. I needed to start to start to think about serving communities and giving to communities and being a part of a community. Um, because up to that point, um, in art school, I was really self-focused, um, which yeah. is something that they ask you to do. Yes. Yeah, for um, sure. And then I had realized, I knew I couldn't stay in Baltimore. I had already moved away from Baltimore by the time the marches were happening, but uh, Micah was a large gentrification force in Baltimore, and I had already watched these neighborhoods change and the way that Micah was expanding and pushing people out of their neighborhoods. Yeah. I maybe realized I couldn't stay in that city and be a connected to that institution because I wasn't actually part of that part of a community. I was part of a institution, which is like sort of this false community, you know, cause all these people come in without a knowledge of where they are. Um, right. And so when Trayvon Martin was killed, I started to realize I wanted to connect myself more in community. Um, while I was in Minneapolis, I started to go to a lot of union meetings. I started to go to a lot of because there's like a lot of labor union activism in Minnesota in the Midwest. Um, yeah. So I started to go to more meetings, meeting people. And then when I moved to Providence, I realized I, I just moved to Providence willy nilly. Um, I had one friend here and it looked like it was a good place. I also missed the East Coast and I felt like I couldn't go back to Baltimore. Um, so I started connecting to community more, started going to libraries and meeting people and going to events um and so that really started to inform my work about why I started teaching is because I started teaching in after-school settings in libraries Uh, a lot a lot of public libraries sort of serve as a place for kids to go after school if their parents aren't able to pick them up like and yeah or they aren't able to go to some sort of daycare or something. Um, So public libraries really serve kids in that capacity. So, I mean, honestly, look around at your local libraries. They probably would love some comic artists to Mm -hmm. teach drawing after school because they got a lot of kids they got to (laughs) entertain. And so I started teaching because it was a way to 
be engaged in my community. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's sort of my journey to education. Um, yeah, I've been babbling a lot. Do you want to talk about what your early, like up to undergrad, it was like? Sure, sure, sure. So as I mentioned, um, I grew up in South Florida and down there we have a magnet arts middle school and a magnet arts high school. So I attended both. A middle school too? Yeah. No, I, seriously, wow. since sixth grade. <laughs> Art school wow. since sixth grade. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like pretty fortunate that I got to do that, right? Um, so, and the other nice thing is that like they also had, my my high school especially had like a very rigorous academic side also. Um, you know, I, uh, Florida is famously not, the public school system is not great, Uh very underfunded, you know, there's not like a lot of um, support there. So I feel pretty fortunate that I got to kind of get the grade school education I had. And then um, because it was an art school, they were pretty focused on sort of ch- channeling us into like the bigger art programs. So like we had our own like portfolio day, we had like all this stuff. I had sort of a weird coming to comics specifically in high school. And then I got to do a pre- uh, I won a scholarship to do a pre-college program at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, where one, I was like, oh, good. I definitely don't want to be in Florida anymore. <laughs> like, I know for sure I definitely want to leave Florida for college. And also, um, it, was, it was kind of like my first introduction to like comic specific, like illustration and comics as a field. Mm. Um, because my, my high school is very fine arts oriented, a lot of distrust of like comics and illustration, kind of that classical, like, you know, keep a separate sketchbook for your cartoons and your real art type mm-hmm. attitude. <laughs> um, so then for college, college, I did go back to Philly. I ended up going to a really, really tiny art school um, named Moore, which had, I believe, in total roughly 300 undergrads, like very, very mm. small. You know, I <laughs> I have like ambivalent feelings, I think, about my undergrad experience at this point. I I was able to do, I think, a lot of things that I'm like very, very grateful I got to do. Um, I, I was an illustration major. Like I said, the school was very like the illustration program at my school was very traditional. Um, like we were required to learn oil painting. We were required to learn like very fundamentals. There was not a lot of like freedom Mm. or, um, that sort of thing, which going through it, I, you know, complained about constantly, (laughs) but like having come out of it, I'm like, actually, I think that works better for me personally. Like I kind of, I still am really fond of that, um, very like classical atelier style with the master's copies and the like very like slow technical drawing. I think at some point in my life, I actually want to go back and do like a, a proper atelier program. Um, (laughs) <laughs> like go to France or the Victorian Albert Museum. Yeah, well, they, <laughs> they, yeah, yeah, they do have some in America. They're just expensive, but it's like you know you spend like three months and all you do every day is like the site size master copies and like drawing busts and stuff like that. It's like very intense, but like very satisfying yeah. to me. No, but, I'm, I'm into it. So like, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's great. But when I came out of undergrad, basically, I, I well during undergrad, I realized that I kind of liked I like drawing. I never wanted to freelance. I realized that very quickly. I didn't want to be like a professional freelance illustrator, which is sort of what my program pushed oh, really hard was like okay. editorial illustration. And my school was very business oriented, right? I, so I've never, I, I, I don't know. I think I've always been more like, because my background is so like fine arts-y, uh, even in illustration and comics, I tend to approach more from that like point of view. 
And um, I realized that I really liked, I like comics and I like working on comics, but I really like the more, like the, not the business side so much, but sort of the support side of things. Um, so I wanted to be an editor, actually, and I did an internship at Boom Studios in Los Angeles as part of my undergrad. We all had to do an mm. internship to graduate. Yeah, so I spent a summer in L.A. Um, interning there as an editor, and I liked it, but I realized that, like, I don't like – like, the office environment was too much for me, like, mentally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, I don't I don't think I'm ready to, like, go straight into an office job uh, when I graduate. So that was useful. Um, and so when I came out of un- undergrad, I really didn't have, I guess, any specific – plans or like ideas of like what I was doing. I stayed in Philadelphia for a year um, and just sort of like worked, you know, a retail job and lived with one of my best friends and like didn't really I th- do much because I just wasn't like I, I was trying to I think still be in publishing I was at that point still trying to like get into publishing somewhere but it's hard to get into publishing if you don't have a degree in liberal arts honestly and you were doing self-published comics you're creating work oh yeah 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 yeah. I was always also doing that as like a as just you know like I've I've been doing the con you know like the 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 small press fests and things like that for yeah and that's how we met yeah we met we met at the we met at Locust Moon in Philly actually (laughs) the first time yeah you were living in Philly and I was just at the convention yeah so and then um, I, I took so I took three years. I graduated in 2015, and so I started grad school in 2018. So I had that three year break right in between. When you moved to Providence to come hang out with me, <laughs> yeah. Um, my my best friend, like I said, was living with me in Philly. We were both like our lease was almost up, and we were like we could stay in Philly. Not much is happening for us here. Um, like I'm not having a, there's not a lot of like work I can find. Uh, like it's kind of been like kind of a drag or we could like, we could be equally poor probably, but in a city that seems kind of rad and has a lot of our friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we were just kind of like, yeah, let's, let's just go to Providence. Yeah. Um, that's how I moved, so I moved to, to Providence. Guess I'll, guess I'll go. <laughs> so in 2016, that's when we moved to Providence. And, uh, I mean, it's that like three year stretch is a little hard for me to like talk about, I guess. Cause I feel like, I mean, I did a lot in the terms of like making comics and I mean, I did a lot in terms of just existing and growing as a person, but it was like really difficult financially and emotionally and I think it's a little hard to parse through that still for me because it's still pretty like, yeah. raw I mean that really wasn't long ago that was less than a year ago yeah yeah and I, I so like a lot of that was really rough I mean I got <laughs> it was like the first time I got fired for being gay the first time like like just like a lot of like nonsense and then but that was the period where I I started to do more like when I moved to Providence, I was like, oh, the, the vibe here is like so. And this is not to say that Philly is not like this, because I think Philly has like a lot of really amazing community work. And I was pretty lucky that I also like did some stuff with Philadelphia Print Works while I was still there, which is a really great company and things like that. But I feel like I treated like I felt like more of a tourist in Philly because I it was like I think it is hard to connect sometimes to the city you go to undergrad in. You show up and then you're in a institutional bubble and you that is the yeah. whole point is to be in a bubble. It's like the yeah, 
Yeah. So, like, and I also, like, I got to help out, like, I worked with a really great cartoonist, Jamar Nicholas, when I was in Philly a lot, and he does, like, amazing stuff for the community. So, like, in no way am I saying that Philly is not, like, community-oriented, but it wasn't until I got to Providence, and, like, there's something about the way Providence is, like, I think so small and so supportive and, like, just so oriented towards not, like, not just, like, being a community, but also, like, strong organizing and protests and like radical thoughts and that like being around that was like definitely sort of a like okay okay like I want to like I feel like I should be participating in this because otherwise what am I doing yeah and you volunteered at libraries yeah so I started volunteering at like the uh, in high school I was on the board of directors for the friends of a library of uh, the West Palm Beach library so I was like I want to help out another friends group Um, so I started doing stuff with libraries and I stumbled like completely by accident into this um, job at the Rhode Island School of Design Museum which was literally it was just like a job posting on indeed and i was like oh that sounds fun i can do that and then it ended up i think being like the most life-changing experience i've had like getting to be in a like a being in a museum space and then like under learning to understand how museums function and like their place in communities and what's wrong with that and it was like that really i think crystallized a lot which helped me i think also with the process of getting into grad school because i applied two years in a row and the first year i mean i applied to brown twice and i never got into brown that's fine but like the first year like just thinking about the way i played i was like i had no idea what i was doing beyond just like oh i want to go to school (laughs) right so you're we've caught up to each other yes so why don't i talk about RISD? yeah so i moved to providence um i started working in the community started doing all sorts of different educational work um i started doing work with the girl scouts um which i talked about um in episode 19 our girls episode so i started working with girl scouts and in Girl Scouts, the program I was in is the quote-unquote urban after-school troop leader. And mm-hmm. so I would have usually two troops a day. So I would have like almost 10 troops. And there would be uh, two different age groups, like the elementary troop and the middle school troop. And it would could be from 15 to 30 kids. Yeah. And so, and I would be visiting all these different elementary and middle schools throughout Rhode Island. A lot of them in Pawtucket, but a few in Providence. Pawtucket being our neighboring city. I was just really getting to know all these kids and all of their lives and sort of my role in their life. So a key aspect of me growing up as a educator was one in which I was often the only white person in the room. Mm-hmm. I would have a co-facilitator. Um, that's a dramatic term, like a teaching assistant Yeah, who was usually a Latina. And then all the girls were usually black or brown children. Right. And it's, it started to make me realize that in order to be responsible, in order to do good by my um, students, I needed to be deeply politically aware and be working towards anti-racism and ways in which I can be an educator and be an authority, but also step back while I was in that position and things like that. So like I I started doing a lot of research on teaching. Um, I started to talk to some other people that I know who were in educational programs and it was through getting no my students and also through this research that I started to want to 
uh, create a book. I wanted to make a graphic novel for my kids. Um, yeah, yeah. I wanted to make something fun. I wanted to make something that reflected their lives. It's always really tricky to talk about because I never want to be like, I am trying to represent their lives in any way, you know, but mm -hmm. I just was like, it is irresponsible to try to create books that do not reflect all these people that I know, all these students that I know. And so I started to want to make a book for them that talked about their experiences, but also talked about my experiences as a kid and like also like trying to find positivity in really difficult situations, right? Right, yeah. And so that was the sort of the catalyst for the breakaways. And then so I started working on the breakaways and it was simultaneously happening with this educational research that I was doing and I was starting to realize I was sort of hitting a ceiling. Opportunities in groups or organizations that I felt like were doing the work. Mm -hmm. And so I started to realize I wanted to learn more. And that's when I started pursuing uh, the RISD master's program. So I started pursuing mm -hmm. the teaching and learning and art and design program at the Rhode Island School of Design. Right. It's called TLAD, teaching and learning and art and design. Um, I call it art education um, because it's that's what it is. It's just um, a longer words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, right. And you're, um, you, you were on, because RISD has two Masters of Education programs and yours was the one that wasn't certified, right? Like you don't have to take the teaching certificate. Yeah. So there was an MA program and an MAT program. Um, one was focused on schooling outside of the classroom. And that's all I had done. And that's what was very interesting to me at the time was education and learning experiences outside of school, outside of right. grading, outside of common core curriculum, outside of that bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. I was really used to these sort of radical spaces. Um, and also then you are so much more able to be student-centered. You're so much more able to be guided by the students and allow the students to guide their own learning yeah. in ways that teaching inside the classroom felt like it wasn't happening. I only ever want to speak from my own experiences, right? So I decided to go for a nine-month program rather than teaching the, the teaching certificate program. So I'm actually not a certified teacher in the sense that the government and the bureaucracy uh, requires <laughs> you to pass yeah. the test. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds so dramatic to say I'm not certified, um, but really... It's just a, it's a bureaucracy thing. It's a it's bureaucracy all it thing, and also... The classes I felt like were very restrictive and they were mm -hmm. had very tunnel vision thinking about what art education can be. Um, and, you know, I'm conflicted because it would be great because certified teachers get to be part of unions um, and get to yes. work in public schools. Yes. So it's just but for me and my personal education, the idea of having to pass a test like a multi multiple choice test in how to teach art is so the opposite of every fiber <laughs> of my being. <laughs> and then to have to right. pay money for these classes that would be teaching me this thing that I absolutely did not believe in. Um, I don't know right. if you know me, but I am very vocal when I think something is wrong. <laughs> 
And so I felt like I really could not do that. But it was in the program that the head of my department was like, why aren't you pursuing being a classroom teacher? You're so good in a classroom. You're like, you're so good at classroom management. You're really good with students. Because it's like the program that I was in was like museum education and like mm-hmm. uh, adult education and like so many other different kinds of education. So, but, but that's like at the core of what I'm interested in. So that's why I'm in independent schools is <laughs> because it's like, right. then yeah. I get to be as rebellious and radical as I want with my practice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think the way you the way you have like constructed your teaching practice makes like perfect sense to me. Yeah, honestly. So it's like I I feel conflicted in why in in not being certified, but the reasons behind why I'm not, I feel very strongly about. Um, sure. <laughs> it would be great to be certified if they just handed it to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also, honestly, also um, art education in public schools is getting cut and like is very very difficult position to be in so I also think the fact that I'm an art teacher and not a math teacher a science teacher is also a huge reason why I'm not certified yeah it's because it's just getting cut from schools constantly it's just that's what gets cut the moment right yeah uh budgets are getting tightened which is unfortunate um and then let me finish up to yeah, go ahead. the timeline to now and then you can talk about your PhD because that's happening now for you. Right. So I got my master's degree. I started going into um, the classroom in an independent setting. I still do in the summers I work in alternative education settings, right? Yes. I work in this program for pre-K to 8th grade Boston area kids. Um, oftentimes because for things like summer slide, they don't, so students don't lose. If you haven't heard of summer slide, the idea is, is that over the three months of the summer, if a child isn't doing any sort of intellectual activity like reading or math or anything like that they actually lose research says that they actually lose a month or two of what they Mm. learned over the school year because their brains are so plastic basically right is that you don't stop developing for three months you know like your brain needs to continually be stimulated stimulated in like not necessarily that running around outside isn't awesome and stimulating. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But, but like the... the, the, but like, the... <laughs> like literacy and all these yes. things yeah. are things that um, our students can be struggling with. Um, and so I get to be an art teacher in that program. Um, and also being the art teacher is definitely like a fun situation to be in. <laughs> and also being a comic art teacher I get to actually help with the literacy area yeah it ends it's still art and it's still fun for the kids so I get to be in the classroom during the school year and also I get to be in these settings that I find to be very very valuable right Mm -hmm. and so while I was in like in these independent schools I started to realize I wanted to start to share my work as a comic art educator and so I started comic art ed which is where drawing and dialogue is hosted um it is my education website and it's where I try to share my work in comic education in the visual arts setting 
um, because I think it's valuable work and I want more people to be doing it. So I, that's. Yeah. Like all good teaching is like, people say stealing, but sharing, right? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. like so. No, I, I definitely believe in sharing. I believe in sharing information and sharing research and um, uh, mm. building upon because we are stronger together. Right. Yes. And so, yeah. like solidarity, honestly, if I find something that helps kids read better, I don't know why I would hide that. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's also a transparency thing, because I think like the more transparent we can be about like where we're coming from, what we're building on, like what we've already looked at, like one, the more other people can help fill in those gaps and also build upon. But also like I feel the more like honest and accountable we're being as like figures that do this work. Yeah. And I, I, I and like that's like a huge reason why we do. I'm like obsessed with citations. I'm yes. obsessed <laughs> with shout outs. It's because we don't want to just be colonizing other people's ideas we want to be continually building upon them and that's what community is so Mm -hmm. if i claim to want to build community i need to be sharing everything that i have you know yes uh so tell me about your phd program e like what happened after you moved to providence yeah yeah well so like i said um i i wanted to stay in Providence. Grad school doesn't really work like this for PhDs, unfortunately, but I, I tried to apply to Brown. Providence is a very small city. To, yes. For our listeners, it is 250,000 people. It's really um, little. That is one sixth of Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's so. It's great. I want to, I'm, I fully intend to come back eventually, but. Um, Aww. We'll have you back. Oh, I hope so. Um, I, like I said, I applied two years in a row. I have found, generally speaking, that grad for PhD programs especially, often you do have to apply multiple years um, just because, like, the competition is really fierce, especially for some schools, um, like Brown, which is, you know. So I got – I technically actually <laughs> – Which is an Ivy League. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I know. Yeah, it's an Ivy League. Yeah. It's, the, it's the punk Ivy and League. And also the programs that you were applying to were – were like heavily applied to programs. Yeah. And that's the thing is that like, for me, this was a big transition because my background is not in academia. I don't have a BA, I have a BFA. Um, I don't have like a traditional research uh, background. I had to write a new writing sample because I don't have like a thesis I did in undergrad or anything. Yeah. So this was like, a lot of this was just like, I have to convince them that even though I am not a traditional candidate, not even in the sense that, like, I am just coming from a different discipline that still is writing-oriented. Like, I'm coming from a discipline where, like, I – the longest paper I wrote in undergrad was, I think, six pages. It, it just was, like, such a different environment. So, like, this was a huge transition for me to have to, like, sell them on myself, basically. And I actually got waitlisted for UF at first and didn't find out I was getting – like, I found out I was getting in, like, really close to the deadline where you have to, like, accept it. But I was like, yeah, of course I'm going. Um, <laughs> I picked – I applied to UF – um, so I never thought I would come back to Florida willingly, but UF had, has a pretty strong background in comic studies, which was when I came into grad school, what I was looking at. And honestly, it came up a lot for research for this yes. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I use, I was already using like all of the like image text, which is like our comic studies journal. Like the the comic studies listserv is like a UF run listserv. 
So like the Donald Alt, who was a professor at UF, um, he's like a very big name in comic studies, and he was sort of like the founder of a lot of this, like why UF has such a rep for our comic studies specifically. Mm. Um, cool. So that was big. That was like, oh, okay, cool. And then it's honestly, it's an English program, and we've talked a little bit about how like comics get like put into the English department, right? Um, and like. I would probably make more sense in an art history department otherwise, but our English department is really much more of like a critical theory department than anything else. Most like it's very theory oriented. It's very culture studies oriented as opposed to like lit studies. Um, There are obviously a lot of people working on like literature and like novels and things like that, but it's much more geared towards like, People do comic studies, pop culture studies, like TV, film, comics, like zines, um, paintings. Like we have like a really interdisciplinary, like English quote unquote program. Which really, um, I mean, that is sort of my history is every school I chose and every program I chose was as interdisciplinary as possible. I sort of skipped over, like I did a lot of theater and I also do a lot of printmaking. Yeah. So like... I am like all over the place, but personally, I don't feel like I'm all over the place. I mean, I know? don't either. <laughs> like, it's just, it you makes have, sense to me. It makes sense to us. <laughs> yeah. That's literally, even in undergrad, that happened to me because it within il- illustration, I was pretty like interdisciplinary in the way I approached things and people would be like, pick one. And I'd be like, no, <laughs> like. I yeah, you're like, why? Just so I can fit into my these like the requirements of this major? Like, yeah, it's so like, goofy. This is arbitrary. Right. So, but when I came in, I was interested in issues specifically around what the sort of contemporary field of comics that are being self-published, right? Which is not really written about. Certain texts sometimes make it like into attention if they get picked up by a bigger publisher and like reprinted. Mm-hmm. But like similarly to like zines, I think like there's a lot of like like if you the the majority like if you go to SPX, the majority of those comics are like not in attention because the majority of them are going to be like things that people make by themselves or in small groups and sort of distribute in these small print runs. And so they just sort of don't get talked about. And what was happening in like, what's happening, I should say in these like self-published DIY kind of comics cultures where what's really interesting to me uh, specifically with queer and trans creators. Um, So that was really sort of like, I didn't, I didn't have like an exact thing, but I know that's like, this is what I'm interested in thinking about. Like, this is sort of, um, as I kind of have been telling people all year, the big broad question is like, who gets to say what at whose expense? Um, So sort of like pulling on these issues of like community and dynamics of communities with regards to queer and trans people specifically. And then I was very fortunate that, um, literally, I think like it started last year, UF has a museum studies certificate now that you can like attach to your degree. So I'm able to now, I'm in the museum studies certificate program. So in addition to like my English stuff, I'm able to take classes in art history and I'll have to do an internship with one of our local museums as part of that. Um, Cause we also have, Gainesville's actually really cool. Gainesville reminds me a lot of Providence um, and sort of like energy. 
Mm. Except like with the, if you like take out the like big UF part of it. But we have a really good art museum down here called the Harn, which is um, free to the public and really interesting because it's like small. It's technically uh, connected to the I- university, but um, like all of the curators sign their own exhibitions and like they all have like a very dynamic, independent, like individual voice, which is usually museums try to be more cohesive than that, which is why I think it's like really interesting. Um, and they do a lot of like community work and are like very community centered. So like it's, it just happened to be like a good fit for me, um, even mm-hmm. though I didn't necessarily know that coming in. Cool. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like a big leap of faith and then it worked out. Um, I'm something I'm also sort of picking through is uh, after uh, sort of this sort of began again because I sort of last I think we talked about this in the podcast for sure that last semester I took a seminar on like critical prison studies Mm -hmm. which I signed up for because I the the person who taught it was the person who like accepted me so I was like oh I like her I want to work with her and then like I knew that we would be talking about (coughs) Foucault who I already knew I liked so like I had no real background right um but I signed up for it and it ended up being I think one of the more like generative classes I've taken so far um in the sense that it's gotten me thinking through something I'm really interested in thinking through with regards to um sort of trans and marginalized like queer trans communities in particularly urban centers that are over policed and like have this sort of like strong relation uh like negative relationship with carcerality and policing and how like the uh print cultures that sort of pop up in response to that so zines and also like pamphlets and things like that um kind of can be like traced as like how identity itself is formed and i think that is actually an important thing to note is that a lot of communication within um the prison industrial complex is still the written word and books and printed matter and letters yeah drawing and then they have some limited versions of email like it's not really email it's like sort of a messaging system yeah so looking at print culture within the prison system is actually is like very contemporary it's happening now Mm -hmm. yeah and again sort of um, being in the right place at the right time, I guess, because, um, Gainesville happens to have the civic media center, which I've talked about on here. Um, so we have like the oldest zine archive in the Southeast. Um, and a lot of those zines are prisoner letters and, um, like radical activism. Cause a lot of zines is like radical leftist activism. And also we have a really active, uh, IWOC, which is the incarcerated workers organizing committee. It's a part of the IWW. Um, and so, like, I, ha- I have, like, gotten to participate in protests and I've gotten to sort of help out when I can with that and sort of, like, contribute also to the community side of it. Because something that is really important to me, um, especially when being a person who is researching sort of these, like, these uh, situations that there is sort of the ability for it to become very exploitative, right? And I'm aware of that. So something that's really important for me as a like marginalized scholars to always like position myself where there's a material side of things also where it's not just like in the realm of like abstract writing papers but it's also like no I will go and I will also do the work and like sort of centering that because I think that's like it gets very easy to depoliticize in academia um and so like I'm always trying to push back against that yeah and I think that harkens back to a lot of what we were talking about before in our undergrad early education mm-hmm. is 
um, that works, right? That depoliticizing that um, mm-hmm. and isolation of students um, from communities. Um, I just want to shout out our episode 16 is our episode on incarceration, if you want yeah. to look more into that. So I, I'm rambling a little bit, I think, um, but just, I'm still like, I'm in my first year of my program, right? Like I'm in the, the, the gathering phase of like, here's all the 100 things I'm interested in yeah. <laughs> and I'm working through them. So. Yeah. But yeah, so you um you talked about why you wanted to come to RISD a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, I am actually really interested in though. So I you started working on breakaways in 2012. Was that it? I started 2013. 2013. Okay. Yeah, I moved to Providence around 2012, 2013, and then I started teaching at Girl Scouts, and it was genuinely the idea to create a book about a girls soccer team in middle school yeah. was inspired by Girl Scouts. Yeah, so. cuz I remember the when we first met at that uh comic show in Philly, um I was with a friend who was working on a at the time a webcomic about soccer and you were like, "Oh yeah, the book I'm working on is about soccer." So yeah. you, like you had already kind of started when we met. Yes. What I wanted to ask you actually is cuz you had already started working on the book and then you went into the master's program, like half, not halfway, but like midway through working on it. Um, So what was it like to like go into the master's in the middle of working on your graphic novel? Yeah. So I think I sort of touched upon this earlier, but I'm the kind of student who's like very headstrong in my Mm -hmm. own ideas. And I had decided that I wanted to learn more about education and child development okay. because frankly, I knew nothing about it. You know, I had only my observations, right? Yeah. And so I wanted to go into RISD. It's the MA program, not the MFA program. So mm-hmm. it was all liberal arts classes. I had the opportunity if I wanted it to take a studio art class and I chose not to because I really, really went to just learn about child development and learn about kids and how to become a better teacher. Yeah. So, and I didn't want to think about my own art practice, right? <laughs> As I had yeah. talked about before, I'm. it's genuinely very isolating and what feels like uh, narcissistic to me, right? Mm-hmm. So when I had gotten there, I was like, I don't want to work on my own art practice. I only want to think about kids. I only want to think about how I can be a better teacher for them. And so even though I had started the breakaways, I was like very private about it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want the school because also schools love to be like our alumni are so prestigious and accomplished, you know, <laughs> and like I'm like so anti that anti <laughs> and so yes. I was going to kind of an elite school right yeah. yeah and so I was like this is not your book this is my book and it's the, a book for kids and it has nothing to do with my master's degree program you know mm-hmm. I really only talk about my master's degree program publicly because I realize I need people to understand I'm really serious about it, about yeah. art education. Um, but it's like, not like I'm just trying to show off or anything. Like that. <laughs> well, that is interesting. Um, cause I know like we've talked about sort of the like degrees of separation a little bit, but I, I know that there is sort of 
like you say that like you wanted to learn more about kids and I mean how did that like you brought that back to the book right like that sort of it was already written oh okay oh yeah it was fully written right and I had thumbnailed it almost completely but I hadn't gotten the okay to draw it okay and I was waiting because my editor went on maternity leave right right and so I was like I'm tired of waiting I just <laughs> want to move my life forward so I decided <laughs> to get a master's degree <laughs> <laughs> That's like an incredibly Kathy way of thinking about it. Like, I'm just going to go get a degree. It's fine. Yeah, I know. It honestly was a little surprising to everyone. It was surprising to me, too, because mm-hmm. I had I had applied after the deadline. Right. And what I did is, this is my suggestion to everyone. This is also my suggestion to you, E, was, but there are humans on the other side of everything you apply to. Yes. And so if you approach them with your humanity, they get to know you. This is true for like job applications, grants, scholarships, schools, Mm -hmm. everything you apply to. I just emailed them and was like, hey, my name is Kathy. I know I'm applying after the deadline. Here's why I want to come to the school. Um, Here's how I'm accomplished. Here's why I believe this degree would send me forward. Let's chat. I'll show you all my student artwork. I have plenty. I have like lots of books with my students' comics. So like I was like, I'll bring all these published books that I made of all my students. I'll show you why I believe I deserve to be part of this program um, with my background. And basically, I had this meeting with the head of the department, and I am a very convincing and aggressive (laughs) person. (laughs) And I got in, like, I got in like a week later or something. Like, you just let me know. Did you even, did you fill out like an actual application or did you like just have... I filled out the application. Okay. Because they need some information, but I filled it out, (laughs) sent it in, and told them, I know I'm like, late like I was a couple weeks late but I was like let me talk to you because I am a kick-butt person (laughs) (laughs) oh man okay no that's interesting no (laughs) No, it's very um that what that trope in like movies where like the main character wants a job so they just show up and like convince them okay no that's interesting um (laughs) and and i said i'm also working on a graphic novel for kids okay um, then how would you like describe the relationship between the making of the book itself and sort of like your teaching practice i guess outside of risd um in that case so it's interesting i think i see my artistic career very holistically right right so I believe that teaching and believe that making art, making books, all of that is part of who my, what my career is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so learning, even though I was trying to protect my book from sort of the institutional elitism, though it was written at the time, I, you know, sort of gaining knowledge about children and child development is always going to inform the work that I do for kids. Right. Um, If that makes sense. No, it Um, does. Yeah. So even though the timeline is messy, like it was fully written, I feel like it only gives the book more value to me because I just, I want to be able to 
meet kids and talk to kids and honestly having a children's graphic novel i've already visited multiple schools and libraries i get to come in and meet kids and then i get to talk to them about how they can be artists and how they can make yeah it's like been awesome it's almost like just like i have this book and i'm just like this is my trick into letting me teach kids <laughs> art and comics <laughs> you know like, cause like, otherwise I'm just like someone who's like, I'm a really good teacher. You know, now it's like, oh, I made this book for kids and it's like fun and awesome to meet an author, but I'm also a teacher and I'm really good at talking to kids, you know? Right. That's not true for all children's authors. <laughs> so one of your goals was to sort of, like you said, to have this like object uh, as like a add to your por- teaching portfolio almost, I feel like. Yeah, the the breakawayscomic.com, which is the breakaways sort of landing site, is on comicarted.com. So Yeah, did you have any other like major goals like approaching it as an educator, like in terms of what you wanted the story to do? Interesting. I definitely wasn't trying to be didactic. Right. By that I mean it's not like a full house with a life lesson. Um, <laughs> I definitely, as an educator, I was trying to work with kids because, okay, middle school is sort of the age when you're a child, everything that's happening around you seems like a fact, right? This is life. Yeah. These are my parents. This is what my parents always will be. This is what adults are like. And adolescence, as, as a teenager, you are like, you're rebelling against everything, right? Mm-hmm. You are like, everything is stupid. This is mm-hmm. wrong. I don't want to be in school. I don't want to go home. All these things, right? And at the middle school, that between time is when you're like, I'm a kid, but I'm starting to realize this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, like I'm, I'm 11. I don't quite understand why I feel like school isn't for me like I don't understand why like I'm having a hard time with this teacher like why am I having a hard time with with, like friends and group dynamics but I don't understand why this is hard Mm -hmm. but I know it's hard and I don't know how to change it it's it's like such a very 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 difficult developmental stage because I think you're starting to real have self-awareness but not know what to do with it and so I really wanted to make a book specifically for middle schoolers because that's mm-hmm. like, it's it's a very notorious age. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, one of my one of my notes for you is just middle graders and all letter, like capitals, because <laughs> um, I'm friends with a lot of people who have taught. Um, I have a, a friend in my cohort who taught elementary and my mentor last semester taught high school. And both of them are like middle graders. <laughs> like there's like a, such a like a weird like... Um, I don't want to say prejudice, that's too strong of a word, but like a a fear of like teaching yeah. middle graders. So middle schoolers can be really mean. Yes. And they can mean to be they can be mean to each other, mean to teachers, mean to themselves, mean to their parents. And also it can flip on a switch, right? They can say something nice and then suddenly they say something mean and suddenly it's they say something nice again. There's like this impulse control problem. Right, right. Okay. And like I adore it because it really (laughs) works well in the art classroom to be honest Mm. like that high energy 
that high energy, changing your mind constantly, all of that really works in an art classroom setting. And also I let kids be loud. I let them express themselves as long as it doesn't hurt other people's uh, learning chance, you know, like, like Mm -hmm. you can, you can be loud, but don't, like hit the kid next to you. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so like, I'm, I love that. I'm also very high energy and I am very observant. And so um, just as a person, so I can tell, like I'm really good with kids who seem to be having a fine time and then suddenly are having a difficult time or something. Cause it's just like, that's just, what's happening, like the hormones, the body changes, the mind changing, the development of that age is just like this, like very constant inconsistencies. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and also it's like, I'm really comfortable. And also this is actually true for working with people who are neurodivergent too, is something right. that I'm very good at is because I'm like really direct. Yes. and like I'm really clear in my construction instructions um and it it can come off as mean when you're working with teenagers or working with adults but I'm like you need to pick this up what you just said was mean like I I can just tell kids that and that kind of communication is great for middle school also great for me personally (laughs) very useful (laughs) yeah and sometimes it's almost too direct like I have Mm -hmm. friends who are more like not passive aggressive, but like it's can come off as very impolite. Right. <laughs> if I'm just like, Oh dude, you, this thing you did is wrong. You know? <laughs> or like, um, can we change our, can we change our course? Can we do this thing differently rather than like the polite thing to do is be indirect. Right. Um, I'm very direct. And So I wanted to make a book that was like about that age, Mm -hmm. the things that happen in that age, because something that happens in that in the book, the book is at its core about identity, right? It's about finding your identity and finding your place with that identity. And it also has a lot to, and that sort of catalyzes in friendships Mm-hmm. changing friendships right so the yeah. whole book the kids have certain friends at the beginning of the book and they not, aren't necessarily friends with those people at the end of the book oh i was gonna say that was something that really struck me when i read it was how natural those like shifting friendships feel both like remembering what i like my experiences in middle school and how like my friend groups would change you know over the course of a year And also, like, I, you know, I don't teach middle schoolers, but I teach, like, 18, 19-year-olds, and I, like, watch them. And even within, like, my classroom, I'll see, like, the the friendships will, like, change as time goes on. And, like, people shift around and, like, just sit differently. And it's very interesting. Yeah, especially in undergrad, you end up, when you first show up in undergrad, you're like, I guess I'll hang out with my dorm mates. I guess I'll hang out with the people that I met in my first class and that I had lunch first with and then you start to find your people and I think that is a lot of what I really wanted to talk about in middle school is finding your people and also being nice Mm -hmm. um because like social emotional learning is like a very middle school age I mean social emotional learning is important for all ages Mm -hmm. including adults um but also trying to learn 
how to be nice to other people, how your actions affect others and they can be in a negative yeah. way, you know, like that's something that middle schoolers are learning. And I think that's why a lot of adults find that age difficult is that's what I mean why they can suddenly be mean. You have to teach them how to be nice to each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you That's not something you just inherently know. You learn how to be nice. Yeah. Was that sort of also why you wanted to work with like an ensemble cast instead of it just being like just Faith is the main character, right? It, like Faith is the main character, right? But like we see sort of everyone more or less equally go through these changes. Yeah. So the ensemble cast and the breakaways is very much um, inspired by... Um, it's just, um, in order to talk about empathy, mm -hmm. you can tell people you should be nice to someone else. You don't know what their home life is like. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of literature for middle, middle grade age is like, here's your main character. She's really cool. You can project yourself fully onto her. She's downtrodden, but she's feisty and um, gets what she wants at the end of the story right. and she's got some cool friends but what I really wanted to talk about was here's our main character here's some people who are rude to her here's some people who are mean to her here's someone who is ambivalent towards her who here's people who are really nice to her right, right yeah and then I follow every single one of those characters to their friends and what their house is like and what their family is like mm -hmm. because I'm like saying like I'm not telling you just like pointing at you and saying have empathy for others I'm saying let's look at what their home life is like let's look at what's difficult in their life and that one moment with the main character where she's kind of mean yeah maybe that that's only a teeny tiny part of her life and you really don't know what other people's lives are like they could be like yours they could be really different from yours and so i wanted to sh fully show how every person on earth is a well-rounded human being yeah you know they don't exist just for this one moment with you you know, they go home, they have families. Yeah. No, it is, <laughs> and, uh, it is like an interesting, yeah. I think, uh, I, I mean, I'll talk about this later, but I do a lot of work with like autobio and identity formation, like subjecthood is like a huge part of that and how like uh, works of fiction and nonfiction create subjectivity. And I think Breakaways is really interesting in the way it sort of pushes back at that. Um, mm. Like there's no like like faith's identity is not created necessarily through the interactions she has with other people like they all sort of have like their own subjectivities that are at in conflict occasionally and then also complementary at times thank you <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's a huge part and also i think that's a lesson for that age yes group. yeah so the breakaways is your first ya specific like book book right so it's middle grade ya yeah. is like young adult like it's like it's almost like 16 it's like 13 to 25 okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I, I i know it's annoying to call it middle grade but it's like key to it gotcha. as a book but yeah it's so it's the first one i had so jeremiah which was my first graphic novel and actually my undergrad senior thesis um, yes, I was in a sculpture program <laughs> and they told me that I could make a graphic novel if I wanted to, as long as it had some three dimensional qualities to it. Interesting. And so that's why I did a full graphic novel. It was 
162 pages because then it's a nice stack of paper <laughs> and it had three dimensionality to it. I'm not even kidding you. When I talk to people who are in like like actual comics undergrad and their senior thesis is like 16 pages or 24 pages, yeah. I'm like, you should have done sculpture. <laughs> Um, but I actually, so then I finished that in my senior year and then I made it into a web comic yeah. briefly. I forget that I'm a web cartoonist, but then, so the web comic version of Jeremiah actually got a lot of uh, young adult attention. Mm -hmm. So that one is sort of YA in a certain sense. I currently categorize it as mature right? because now that I'm adult <laughs> looking back, I was like, these are like adult themes. Even though when you're a teenager, you're like, this is cool. Right, right. <laughs> so it, it became popular with YA, but I personally wouldn't categorize it in that age group. And then just for the themes. And then um, it, and then my second book is um, Gorgeous, mm -hmm. which is only adult because I have two F-bombs in it. <laughs> and I'm literally so mad at myself. <laughs> I mean, the themes are adult right, as well. Yeah. But I just, like, even if the themes wouldn't be interesting to a kid, I can't even hand it to a kid because there's F-bombs in it. Like, I was like, why did I do that? There's no reason to have done that. And then before those two graphic novels and in the middle of working on those graphic novels, I have lots and lots of self-published zines yes. um, that are all adult. Mm -hmm. So based on theme and what the stories are about. Mm -hmm. So Breakaways is my first one for children. Like, how do you see it in conversation maybe with like your older, like what are you building on from your previous work? Yeah, it's definitely, so almost all my work is about people finding their identity mm -hmm. and finding their place in the world. That's, that is almost all of my work. It's not necessarily, I'm not like, I'm going to make a story about how young people who are despondent, right? Right. It's more like as a queer person, as a trans person, and as an artist, you know, who has always felt displaced. Um, and like as a radical thinker, you know, trying to, yeah. who feels isolated by dominant culture mm -hmm. for many reasons. I think it only makes sense for the themes of most of my work to be about identity and be about trying to find your place and articulating that kind of thing. Yeah. And then again, it also makes sense for me to make that book for kids. I'm like, why am I talking about this just for adults? <laughs> uh, since I have been fortunate, with the exception of like, you did Jeremiah, obviously, before we met, but for the most part, I've gotten to see like a lot of your au revoir. And um, I think it definitely make. I also did, I made lots of zines in high yes. school. Yes. Well, okay. <laughs> Fair. But what I mean is that like, I'm thinking about, um, uh, Dear Amanda, which is still one of my favorite books you've ever done. Um, Thank and you. things of that, and like, obviously gorgeous. And like the, it, it makes sense to me. Like it does feel like a natural, it doesn't feel like you suddenly like ditched and switched to why uh, to middle grade. Like it feels very natural. Yeah. And I think it's almost, it's funny thinking about that because Kevin Chap was my colorist. Yeah. And so visually it can look like, I'm just like, oh, this is popular, but <laughs> And I just jumped a train of middle grade. But honestly, you have to think about, I started this project six years ago. Right, right. It, middle grade blew up. Yeah, it's since pretty recent. Since this book recent. had already been purchased. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, it's like, it's like, it only just like blew up because people were like, oh, smile is a big deal. Let's all make a smile. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Smile is awesome. Oh yeah. I mean. And middle grades, middle graders deserve as many books as possible. So keep making them is my opinion. (laughs) But um, for me, like it, it's a, it, the place it's coming from is deeply sincere. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Those are, that's, that's a really, I feel like oh, I'm very biased here. Cause I think it's like genuinely a really fantastic book. Um, thanks E for letting me talk about the break. <laughs> um, so I wanted to sort of pivot into your master's degree project. Right. So you are sort of seeking in your doctorate program, mm-hmm. you are now seeking a master's degree. Yes. Um, so what are you doing for your master's project? Yeah. So for context, um, UF does not offer a terminal master's degree. Um, and it also does not automatically grant one and route to the PhD. So we have an option for it. Um, the option is strongly discouraged. Um, so, but I'm working on, I don't want to give like too much detail, but I've been working on a graphic novel pitch for about a year now. Um, and I had been joking with my friends like, oh, I'm not going to do a master. Like I had wanted to do a master's project. Um, but I was like, oh, I'm not going to have time to do it. Cause I'm doing this. Like I'll be working on this book thing basically. Right. Like, how, like joking about how it was going to be my master's. And my friends were like, I mean, what if you made it your master's <laughs> um mm. so I had to kind of go around and first sort of pitch it to my uh graduate coordinator who I'm fortunate that she was very on board and then go and like pitch it to my committee um but what I'm doing is essentially a creative master's project that is part the pitch part like a, a section of the book because uh generally you know you don't have like a finished book before it gets published and I can't guarantee when it's going to get published if ever and then a sort of I'm calling it an artist statement now I think because my uh, chair for my committee for my thesis said I could do it as an artist statement and I was like mm. that makes so much more sense thank you um, that is sort of a like I, in that document, I, what I'm really interested in is thinking through ideas of process and um, the relationship between like art making and theory making. There's this bit in uh, Cruising Utopia by uh, Jose Munoz where he talks about um, – so Jose Munoz was a queer theorist who wrote a lot about like queer performance artists and he was friends with a lot of them. And he's there's in one of his chapters in that book, he's talking about – sort of the relationship between his friends who make the art and him as the theorist who sort of uses the art to generalize theory. And he kind of describes this as a uh, cultural division of labor and kind of Mm. raises the question about like, what does it mean to sort of strive towards like a a pure collaborative type project um, that doesn't like, isn't just like a theorist coming along and like using art for their own purposes or whatever. And so obviously he's talking in that case about like collaboration between two people. But I was, when I read that, I was kind of like, how does this apply to artists who are theorists? Right. Cause a lot of artists Mm. are like, it is like its own epistemology. So that's sort of where I started thinking through, like, how could I, like, do this in a way that would be, like, 
sellable to the institution, let's say, um, but also would set me up personally to sort of think about the ways in which my work as an artist relates to what I'm doing or as a person who like theorizes about them. Um, And so that's sort of my starting point. Um, It's still, uh, I have, I'll be defending it next spring. So I've got like time. Oh, you have a full year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started early. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, Phew. Um, but part of that is right that drawing takes longer. So, like, I don't, I'm not going to be writing the traditional masters, which is about 40 pages, but I am going to be doing drawing, and that takes a long time on top of my regular school duties and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of where I'm at, and it, um, I've also been calling it, I, I kind of been playing around with the idea of like labeling it as a creative memoir because um, uh, the book itself is um, very autofictional. So what are the overlaps with what your graphic novel pitch for your master's degree, um, what are the overlaps with the topics of your research as a scholar? Yeah, so um, trans embodiment is a big one. Yeah. We've talked about that a lot. I'm <laughs> yeah. Fancy that. Yeah. Um, so it is something I'm really in- like always <laughs> interested in is how trans people use visual images to try to get at a subjectivity. Um, <laughs> so um, in the book, it's very heavily curbed from my experiences. Um, and so like a lot of my own feelings about transness and like transitioning and like how that like that gets embedded in the page right um Mm -hmm. and uh, then I'm also thinking about that in terms of like well okay how does it mean to like approach theory as a trans person like what does a trans like practice of theory look like um Mm. and that sort of thing um I mean that's a lot like what we're doing here, right? Yeah. Is trying to, it's just like asking a lot of questions and producing a lot of information. So like, not only are we doing our own research, but the practice of us doing this research and sharing it in the format that we share yeah. it is its own creation. Yeah. Of, yeah. And yeah. something that I'm really interested in getting away from is sort of the like, and I characterize this as capitalistic, perhaps unfairly, but like the emphasis on the end product, right? So, like, traditionally, it would be, like, here's a finished text that I'm writing about, and the the, it, the text is a self-contained, done object. Even, like, when people write about archives and things like that, you're still generally writing about it not as, like, a process so much as, like, an object of study. Um, so what I'm really interested in is, like, what does it mean, then, to be looking not at an end product, because there's not going to be a finished book at the end of this um, but like the process of bookmaking itself, right? Like what does that look like as the thing being studied? And also that like that's so much of what comics and image making is, yeah. is that you can create an image and information from can be gleaned from that image in many ways. Yeah. You know, like it's continually giving information. It's not just a sentence that says this one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all these other topics that you're s- telling me about is like so there's the queer uh prison abolition Mm -hmm. um disability and also zines and print forms do you want to talk about how those topics also sort of overlap with this work yeah so i think 
Um, I think since a lot of this is sort of f- really for myself to figure things out moving forward into the dis, um, Mm-hmm. The dissertation, sorry, we call it the dis. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it, it, disability again sort of comes in in the sense that, like, I'm a disabled person. Um, and it, actually, and this I can say is that, that it was really important for me to write the main character as autistic um, and sort of like mm-hmm. have that not be like, not, it, it's not a book about autism, but like the, the main character has autism. And so, like, the way I write it is always going to be. Like as an like I'm autistic, I can't not write a book that has like that. You you know what I mean? Like there's no detangling those issues for me. Um, And also, I think there's not a lot of um, books in general about autistic characters, especially autistic characters that aren't little kids. So that was something that was important for me to sort of think about um, and think through. And yeah, autistic adulthood is something that isn't explored as much in media. I saw a list. I'll try to find it. And if I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But I found a list of of autistic positive children's books, like like picture books, um, like not like written by people with experience. Yeah, like that's cool. Not like. Yeah, and <laughs> not a, like exploitative stories yeah. that make assumptions about right. it. And yeah. I think the other thing for me with that too is that um, I I'm really interested in like the types of miscommunications that happen because of conflicting neurodivergencies. If that makes sense, because like. Mm-hmm. I, Oh, yeah, totally. Like, I have my brain stuff, and then a lot of my friends also have, you know, their brain stuff, and sometimes there's just a conflict there, um, and it's not that either of us have, like, done wrong, or it's just, like, the things that give you anxiety and the way you cope with that also is the thing that gives me anxiety, (laughs) so... um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's something that a lot of queer people, it's like a common um, thing to be talking about and processing, right? I mean, I feel like it's a joke in a queer world to talk about processing, but but it's it's something that's valuable that everyone should be doing, but it just happens to be radical communities that are doing it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And as for like zines and um, so... When we talked, we just talked about this in the the zines episode, which was episode um, when we talked about girls. That was was that last episode nineteen. It was episode 19. yeah. Episode, so episode nineteen. One of the things that I brought up was how zines sort of offer different m- methods of like building subjectivities that can be fragmented or unwhole or push back against dominant narratives, and that that sort of structuring I think is very influential to the way that I approach creative writing in general. And something that I was definitely very interested in trying to, like, bring into a longer comic text. Sort of, like, how do you push back against those ideas of, like, what like what I was saying when I was talking to you about the breakaways. That sort of idea of, like, a full, complete, unbroken interiority of a character. Yeah. Yeah, and I think in terms of, like... I, I, I don't think the, the, this Master's Project intersects too much if at all really with sort of my work on carcerality because one it's largely using myself as a case study and I personally don't have experiences with carcerality um and two because it's this book but but I think 
what I'm doing is building a framework for myself that I can take into the research I do. And Mm. that's kind of where it ends up overlapping with my broader academic practice. Um, Because that's what I was really interested in doing was sort of building this framework out for myself. I mean, I think I could propose, I recently listened to the podcast Justice in America. The latest episode had Mariame Kaba. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about how prison abolition, um, to be an abolitionist is to recognize carcerality, the carcerality of so many everyday situations of our neighborhoods under surveillance. Um, Because so if you are working towards uh, addressing homelessness, you are an abolitionist. If you are an educator working towards a better education for all, you're an abolitionist and stuff. And so like, and also observing that and also recognizing the way carcerality and also um, surveillance is like people's bodies are being surveilled Mm. so much, especially trans people. I think you can be generous with yourself (laughs) in in how your work can address that stuff, whether it's not talking about the actual prison complex or not. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do think that's, That actually is an interesting way to think about it because I do think something I'm always kind of working through is um, sort of restorative justice. And um, I hate using this phrase, but like queer call out culture and sort of like those more like toxic patterns of dealing with um, when there's like conflict in communities. (laughs) And I think that is part of this. So. That is like an interesting way of thinking yeah, about it. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a carceral mindset. Yeah. Right. To yeah. Punish. Punish. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, honestly, taking it back to myself and middle schoolers, I mean, discipline and punishment is also a, a thing that needs to be contended with while working with difficult ages mm-hmm. um, because I don't believe in discipline. You know, I don't believe that's a way to learn how to change behavior. Oh, no, it's not. So... Um, E, tell me about the stuff you're writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know I'm, I don't have like the nice, neat thing because they're not, they're not quite connected yet. But so I'm, um, I have two different like written things that are, I'm working on outside of school, which, um, I'm writing a book chapter, um, for an upcoming LGBTQ comic studies reader. Congratulations. That's very <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thank you. But I'm writing about Victor Martin's You Don't Have to Be Afraid of Me and He Goo Rose's Titty Chop Boob Slash and sort of the specific ways that, um, trans people sort of deploy I'm on the fence about this term but what I've been calling radical masculinities um by which I mean like how new types of masculine identities that aren't cis normative happen because I think both of those comics uh are really interesting in the ways that like gender identity is like created in them um, mm. that sort of pushes back against a lot of dominant narratives. Uh, let me shout out episode 18 of Drama Dialogue <laughs> is our masculinity yes. episode. And then way back episode three is our memoir episode where we talk about that Higu Rose. Yes. Uh, yeah. As you can tell, I love that comic and I've been talking about it forever. Um, and then I'm presenting a paper in July on, um, 
queer prison abolition at the um, Comic Studies Society conference. Um, and so I'm specifically using Abo Comics, um, the first anthology. I haven't had a chance to look at the second one yet. Um, and I'm sort of mapping out how, like using that as an example of sort of community relationships and community repair, how that can be done sort of across the prison mm-hmm. inside outside line and how queer prison abolition specifically is a form of um, queer utopia in Jose Muno's sort of terms. Um, so thinking through like, mm. so Munoz presents queer utopia as like an act of looking towards a future that allows queerness to exist. Um, but a lot of the book frames that in terms of like not thinking about carcerality. So now I'm like trying to tease out like, what do we think about this in terms of carcerality? And I think to harken back to something you had talked about earlier about the ways in which the focus on productivity on final product can uh, sort of repeat capitalism, mm-hmm. but also recognizing how presenting work in a package that is consumable to others is key to being able to share our yeah. work. But I think recognizing the difference between it being final and it being information that is malleable and additive rather than the the end all. Right. I think I think that is key to my work on comic art ed is it's always growing and changing. And I think that is the ideal of scholarship. And I think that is the ideal of art. Yeah. Is that this is never final. Sorry, I got I got uh, worked up. (laughs) No, it's good. It's good. It's good. Um, and um, actually, that really nicely ties into a question I had for you about your teaching practice. Oh, sure. Because something I have always been um, really invested in is sort of the way that you the way that you approach teaching and like your even like your lesson plans and the way you write on comic art ed is really, really practice focused, like the act of making comics mm-hmm. in the classroom, as opposed to the act of like analyzing comics in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, <laughs> I don't have like a specific question, but I wanted to talk about that with you because I think your ideas around using making, right, are really interesting um, and I'm always really interested in sort of like how you have come to sort of emphasize that and like your interest in that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think I think that is thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is my mind as an art educator and as an artist, yeah. right? So I think being able to take in information um, that is something that is asked of us and asked of students generally, right? We are generally being asked to take in information and then we are supposed to analyze it and then we are supposed to somehow come to new conclusions either in an essay or a paragraph answer or something like that, right? So that process of consumption and analyzing, right? But what making is and what creating is and what the ideal of art education is in my mind and what my belief system is you are taking in your context you're taking in information you're taking in your history um and then you are creating something additive you are creating something more okay right yeah. you are discovering new information through the artistic process and so that is something that cannot happen in 
uh, many other different classroom subjects, right? Mm-hmm. You cannot create new English words, <laughs> right? But, <laughs> um, but you can create new information and new observations in an art classroom setting. Um, and I think that is the very core of my belief system yeah. is that the voice of every person of every child is unique and interesting and deserving of creative expression. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for noticing. Well, that. yeah. Cause the other, like <laughs> that, and also which you sort of talked about is, um, you know, you're an art teacher, but the way you teach art focuses a lot more on self-expression and self-reflection, I think, um, than becoming, like, technically good at drawing. Oh, yeah, no. In fact, it's very frustrating. Yeah. (laughs) I never want to teach a student how to draw something. Oh, it drives me nutty. But I'm, like, I'm, like, happy to do it if if a student really wants me to, Mm -hmm. and if I feel like it is going to um, add to their own expression. I just get frustrated by the idea that technical skills is the end-all be-all of an art classroom. Right, yeah. I, I just um, It's like a really unique, or at least uh, uh, like a perspective on teaching drawing that I haven't seen very often. And Yeah, and I think actually part of it has to do with I don't want to teach artists. Right. I want to teach everyone. Yeah. Right. If you were teaching an artist, just like you're teaching a mechanic, yeah, they should know how to fix an engine. <laughs> yeah, <you know>? probably. <laughs> if I'm teaching an artist, yeah, they should know how to draw. Like they should know how to oil paint or and mix paint colors. You know, like all these things, mm-hmm. right? But what I want to teach everyone these skills that I believe are transcendent of the art classroom yeah so i mean that's so much of what my segment in is drawing a dialogue so you can go ahead and just go back (laughs) in our history but like talking about masculinities Mm -hmm. talking about social emotional learning talking about self-discoveries talking about all these um your place in culture um empathy with other people in your own culture you know like all these things are things that art education classrooms are geared to if you can think radically about it. Yes. Agreed. And that is very, very, very much why I do this podcast with you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is trying to encourage that kind of mindset. It's a good mindset. Um, Thank you. And that's also, and uh, now you see how earlier when I said I was not interested in being a certified teacher, you can see where coming from. Um. I almost think I would be like a social studies teacher if that was kind of still a thing. Social studies is less of a thing nowadays. So E, um, teaching is new for you, right? It's been something I've been doing for like seven years now, but it's new for you in your capacity as PhD student, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm really, really interested in how teaching has informed your work as a cartoonist and your work as a scholar. Yeah. Um, my first education experience, I think, um, was at the RISD museum. Um, and I've talked about this, um, but like, cause what I was doing a lot was sort of like trying to encourage people to draw. Right. Um, so it wasn't education in the sense of what I do now, but it was still like sort of fostering an educational environment. And I feel like strongly about what I did there, but 
It's interesting. One of the nice things about my English program is that we don't have any adjuncts in the department. Um, so all of the courses are taught by either the tenured professor who do the upper div undergrad classes, the upper division undergrad classes, so like juniors and seniors. Mm. And then the lower division, so uh, general education and like sophomore freshmen are led by PhD students. Interesting. Yeah, so this um, year, because I was incoming and I don't have a master's or like teaching experience, um, I was in the like mentored program um, where we we teach with, in addition to teaching in English, um, we also teach with the university writing program, which is a separate department that does all the comp courses basically for like the whole school. What's comp? Uh, composition. So like writing composition. Okay. So the way that uh, we do it is um, an, uh, a student who has been here for at least a year and has like teaching experience is the head of the class and then two incoming um, students are placed with them. And so we can kind of learn from them. Um, and I was really fortunate that my mentor first semester um, was like a high school teacher. She had just she has like a lot of experience um, and she was a really. That's awesome. And she was. Yeah. So like because she already had an education background, I was able to get like a much more, I think, hands on practical teaching um, training than some of my colleagues got. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a funny thing about uh, higher ed sometimes is you get teachers who are teaching in a classroom are experts in their field, but not experienced in educate in teaching, like how to just practically teach. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's like lucky of you. Um, you know, I, it's been a really, it's been a really good experience. I really, I really enjoy um, teaching, and I think I'm very, I think I'm pretty good at it. That's okay. Toot it. Toot that <laughs> okay. I think I think I'm a very good teacher <laughs> based on awesome. what I have uh, seen with my students thus far, and cool. I'm excited to be sort of moving into the next phase where I get to lead my own classroom. So, like next semester, I'm teaching a special topics um, course, which are like they basically the special topics courses have like limited sections that you have to pitch for. It's like you know bureaucracy scheduling stuff. Um, but so I pitched. Yeah, yeah, it's not like a required class that is going to run yearly. Yeah, it's like a special class because you're interested in these kind of specific topics. Yeah, yeah. And so the way that we do it, basically, we're a public university, right? So there's like certain state requirements. And then it's basically like the the class is AML, whatever. And like they will run two AML, whatever classes a year. And then like what the subject actually is changes depends on like who teaches it. So it's interesting. What's AML? Um, American literature. Um, So I'm teaching a American literature class on autobiography um specifically autobiography in the margins so um autobiography by non by marginalized authors but main like specifically looking at like non-traditional memoir formats so not like full-length books um so we're doing like slave narratives we're doing um confessional poetry um zines uh photography so like thinking through like how genre is like made and like why these things aren't categorized as autobiography even though they are autobiographical (laughs) oh yeah what's the episode in which we talk (laughs) which i in which i talk about about this uh i think several but we talked about oh i guess it would probably be episode 17 trans yeah i talk a little bit about trans memoir um yeah talking about like 
who whose story is autobio and whose story is not right yeah. and how like a, a certain subjectivities like i was saying get created through genre conventions and um things like that so um i'm really excited for it i'm teaching it at 8 30 in the morning so that'll be <laughs> fun <laughs> but i am very i'm uh, this will be the first time I get to write my whole syllabus from scratch um, in addition to my lesson plans and everything. So I'm very excited about it. It's so awesome. I know. It's really cool. It's so awesome. <laughs> it's honestly, I this just this trimester is the first time I've actually gotten, I'm getting to teach a comics class, the art classroom during the school day. Oh. It's just comics. And it's That's so cool. Just, yeah. It's, it's, I've worked for years to get to this place and so far it's only two weeks in it has been awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm definitely going to share assignments as my students turn them in and complete them so i can do the whole chronology of lesson plan to final product but i'm definitely going to share it on comic art ed because it's like genuinely it's a dream to actually have the opportunity to teach something you're very, very, very interested it in. It super is. And I think something that I'm still learning how to do, um, but have been sort of working on is like um sort of what we talked about in that tran in that um the trans memoir um episode, the trans we also talked about like school climates and centering transness in classrooms. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. so I the two classes I've taught so far are like freshman writing composition courses. So like intro to college writing classes basically. But I have still had the right. opportunity to use that to bring in um texts by marginalized and trans artists and creators. Um and like it's very interesting. Like, so last semester I used one of Carter Monier, the, um, the Carter Monier comic about Hitman, um, as just like a text for like a lesson on how to do evaluative writing. So like the, 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 the subject of the text was not the subject of the conversation. Um, but it was still like, th there's like ways in which you can bring this stuff in, in classes where it's not necessarily like the subject, right? Um, but you're still normalizing it by doing that because they're still like getting to see it. They're getting experience with like seeing, um, work from people maybe they haven't interacted with before and it helps them like think through things in a really, um, different way. Um, mm. so it's been, it's just like finding these little things has been really, I think, nice and cool. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I guess we are ready to move into our conclusions. Yeah. Um, so sort of talking about like, so what are our goals? Like, so why did, what's our takeaways for why we started to talk about this, why we wanted to record this episode? Mm -hmm. I am, a, I, I like the process of stopping and taking stock. And I think getting to do that in a collaborative environment is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. So like getting to talk through this kind of stuff with you and get your perspective and also like see what how you're thinking through things is really useful for me also. And mm -hmm. I think, again, it kind of comes back to this idea of like um, what I have been secretly in my head calling radical transparency all semester of <laughs> sort of pushing back against in academia. In the academia, sometimes we we want to be very 
um, private and closed off and um, secretive and like it just sort of not even I think people intentionally do this, but by virtue of the way that the the, the academic industry runs, it's like everything is like closed down. Peer reviews are blind. You never know like who's talking about your work. Like it's a very like opaque structure mm, mm-hmm. and being sort of coming from like art school where like you always kind of knew where you stood with people and um <laughs> like literally I talk about this all the time but like the idea that like you don't get to find out who's critiquing you at at any level is wild to me because I'm like what do you mean you don't just stand in a room for six hours and have all of your peers tell you to your face what you need to change um so just sort of this I think things like this help sort of break those or make those like opacity like bring that opacity down a little bit to make it more transparent like how people are thinking through things what their approach is where they are yeah and then um that's perfect that's 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 exactly i i think i think i'm realizing like um i sort of i'm starting to want to start classrooms or lectures i've been starting my like i started i had a workshop at the brooklyn public library a few weeks ago and i started it with my social identifiers Mm -hmm. so like i'm a neurotypical white uh, genderqueer trans person um and sort of thinking about how that is our context and to ignore that is a detriment to our work and trying to eliminate um authors is honestly how we get white cis men being the dominant voice who get to be not have like anonymous authorship rather than recognizing how um everyone has social identifiers that informs their yeah. work uh so i actually have two reasons why i felt like this was because like and then okay so that approach is making me start to realize why this isn't like navel gazy to do this kind of episode to do this kind of work, right? right? Rather than, you know, you get a little self-conscious um, just talking about yourself, yeah. you know? But also I think, so there's two things in conflict with my career. And I feel like with a lot of people who sort of are in the marginalized world and are in the radical world, mm-hmm. um, and that is institutionism and elitism yeah how you and i specifically are using institutions and using what like you know what is pegged as the ivory tower and trying to um use educational systems um to our advantage and trying to bring that out into communities right into our communities and so just straddling it doesn't feel like I'm str- we're straddling different worlds, right? It feels like this is our holistic life, mm-hmm. you know, to be in many realms. And I think recognizing um, how education is, like, very important, whether that is education in an institution or education through your community yeah. and through experience, all of that is valuable and honestly equal. Right. Yeah. Just because you've learned something in a classroom doesn't mean if you learned a similar thing in a community organizing setting that those two things are unequal in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And then another sort of final conclusion is sort of being able to talk about our work as artists and as scholars as a whole. Yeah. Yes. Right. Rather than 
having them be isolated from each other, having, so like me being a teacher is my quote unquote day job. (laughs) And I'm really a cartoonist and I really wish that I could be a full-time cartoonist, which is like, that is definitely not the case. Like I am an enriched cartoonist. I make enriched books because of my chances to work with students like it's such an opportunity and it's such a positive thing that to think of it as a day job Mm -hmm. is like makes me (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and honestly uh it's fun to also talk to you e about this because like i am beyond um my schooling i'm not sure if i will go on to pursue another degree or not right now i'm very much in the everyday experience of being a teacher which is honestly so great to be building lesson plans and to be seeing what my students make rather than just thinking about what i think my students will (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) um and then also being able to talk to e who is like in it like in (laughs) you know like in the trenches (laughs) so close to being done with this year (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's like so nice um to yeah, to work in this collaborative setting yeah. and keep it messy. Yeah. I love to keep it messy, mm-hmm. you know. So, thank you so much for recording this episode with me. Yeah, thank you so much. This, this has been very fun. I'm glad we waited a little while to do this actually. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> So now it is time for letters to the editor. This is our regular segment where we talk about resources um, that sort of harken back to past topics. Because as all as we were just saying, we are always building upon um, these things that we're researching and talking about. Mm-hmm. Or it can literally be a letter to the editor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we have both today. We have both today. So why don't you start with sure. Um, So uh, I mentioned I have a friend who taught elementary before um, coming here. And um, she when she listened to the last episode, so she got really excited because she actually did her, um, I think her thesis um, or at least an article on the mother teacher trope and how teachers Mm. like women are like feminized, like the teaching position is feminized. Yeah, which we talked about last episode yeah. with the girls episode. So she texted – she told me about um, two sources for, like, further research on that, which are um, Mother Teacher, a book by uh, Rudding S. Suggs, which is about, I believe, that idea of the teacher as mother um, and is apparently pretty foundational to that, like, scholarly conversation – and um, Zitkala saw's The School Days of an Indian Girl, which is a account of the reservation, like the on-reservation schools that um, Native Americans were in, because um, we also talked about that last episode. Um, yeah. So, yeah, thank you, Nicole, for passing those along, if you are listening. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we'll link those. Do you have links? Uh, yeah, I can. That? I will. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to read them. Thank you. Oh, and then we got an email uh, from our listener, uh, Karina, um, who uh, was sort of talking to us about zines and zine shows. Um, And it actually, um, so Jess uh, Skolnick, who is a writer, um, an awesome queer person, a musician, a punk, uh, sort of had like a tweet thread a few days ago 
I bet I can link to a tweet for yeah. it, right? That sort of addressed this idea of, and also talking about our girls episode with zines right. and sort of talking about why zine archives are necessary. Yeah. And part of it has to do with um, the bad history that's, and to quote Jess's words, the bad historization that is particularly egregious in the digital age, yes. right? So they're talking about how so much of underground history isn't digitized or archived uh, that um, there's a habit in not using a expansive primary source material when talking about history and coming to these conclusions based on a limited resources and not talking to people who experienced it and um, making assumptions and jumping to conclusions. And I, um, and I think Jess does a great job of talking about yeah. it and also, you know, talking about zine archives mm-hmm. and yeah, how they are creative resources, right? They can be, um, made up you know <laughs> yes. like there was so much things that people were I doing. think yeah and I think um the other thing that's useful about archives and zine archives and things like that is that they sort of help counter what I occasionally perceive as a dangerous romanticization romanticization of the sort of counterculture histories of the 90s and a prior, um, I think it's very easy when you don't have access to the full story to paint a picture of it being sort of like better, right, than what we have now because the past always seems better. Um, zines were never flawless products of counterculture that lacked hierarchy. Archives keep you aware of history and also like – help parse through that that exact idea that uh, Jess was getting at where we only have pieces of the information so we fill in the gaps and we tend to do that in a way that idealizes what has already happened mm-hmm. um, but we don't always necessarily know and we can't really make those claims. Thank you so much. Um, and if you want to send us a letter or any sort of resource on stuff that we've talked about previously, you can email us at drawingadialogue at gmail.com. Yeah, totally. Um, I want to say thank you to the Downtown Boys for their song Wave of History. It's off their album Full Communism. You can get it off their band camp. It's linked in our show notes. You can find our show notes on the podcast website drawingadialogue.com, which is hosted by Comic Art Ed, which Kathy talked about today. Um, you can also follow the podcast on Twitter at draw a dialogue. You can follow me on Twitter. I don't know why I'm saying it like that on Twitter at <laughs> on Twitter. Twitter at E E H E T J A. And you can follow me at Kathy G John C A T H Y G J O H N. Yeah. You can buy the breakaways at thebreakawayscomic.com. Thank you. E. Yeah, please buy it. Yes. Or um, ask your library to get it for you because I love a library. <laughs> so what are you reading, E? Uh, well, obviously The Breakaways, but I'm not going to talk about that because we talked Thank about you. that already. I usually don't read very much, but I've read a lot. I've been reading a lot, I guess, um, to put off doing finals. 
so I wanted to say uh, Anne Leckie's new book, um, The Raven Tower, which is her first fantasy. So she, Anne, Anne Leckie is the author of the Ancillary Justice Trio, which is like a really um, well-regarded contemporary mm. sci-fi series. And so The Raven Tower is her first fantasy book. Um, and normally I am not a big fan of fantasy. It's not really my thing. Um but the Leckie's writing always focuses on sort of like politics and interpersonal relationships and community in a really satisfying way. Um, and the main character is a trans man yeah. and it's really good. And um, I, I love and Leckie's writing a whole lot. So it's like a really good book. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So, Kathy, what are you reading? So I have been catching up on my manga series. So I've mm. been catching up on Tokyo Terariba Girls. That is by Akiko Higashimura. And then I also read the second book of That Blue Sky Feeling. I read the second book of uh, Silver Spoon. Um, oh, and I particularly loved um, the new books for uh, Dead Dead Demons Day to Day Destruction by Inio Asano. I <laughs> love oh boy. Inio Asano. <laughs> me too, me too. Oh, I have to check yeah, those out. Yeah, they're so, so, so good. Um, so I've just been catching up on manga. I just, I feel like I go through these phases of just like what I'm interested in. And manga has always been a part of my life since uh, I was a child. Um, but right. I sort of go through oh, phases in which I go to Barnes & Noble and buy like every book that I am interested in. <laughs> and I feel like I've entered that phase again. <laughs> you can follow me on Goodreads and um, keep up with what, everything that I'm reading, to be honest. <laughs> I'm Kathy G. John on that, too. I'm on Goodreads, although I don't have anything on it yet. I just made it Follow me, follow me. I did okay. follow you. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Drawing a Dialogue. I'm Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm E. Farewell to our intrepid volunteers. <laughs>